0: Really True Fiction is a podcast exploring famous stories to discover the wisdoms, lessons, insights, and ideas therein. Be advised that there will be heavy spoilers for whatever story we are discussing in this episode, as well as potential spoilers for other stories. Check episode notes or social media posts for additional spoilers. Please note that this podcast contains so many bad words and so many crude observations. If this is not your jam, please don't bring the toast. Welcome to another episode of Really True Fiction. My name is Luke Mason. And my name is David Parker. So David, if you found out that Ron Jeremy was about to get penis reduction surgery, would that be like slapping God in the face? Ooh. I mean, maybe he has a really back problem because it's (laughs) so
1: heavy. Like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Maybe he needs to, you know, for the sake of his physical health. I now don't, I, I, don't just know. I feel like Ron, Ron
0: would care about something like that. I guess so. Now like, I'm just imagining Ron Jeremy, like, can't stand up straight. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, it's heavy. Yeah, <laughs> the blood flow problems. Just imagine so, the blood flow problems. So it's not a slap in the face no, to I God. Don't think so, okay, no. all right, Ron Jeremy, you are in the clear. You can yeah, get, that get that reduction surgery if you needed. <laughs> yeah, take that baby's arm and make it a carrot. <laughs> Gross. Anyway, uh, yes, today we are going to be doing the movie Super Bad, the 2007 film directed by Greg Modula or Motola, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, uh, but it was written by Seth Rogan and Evan Goldberg. That's why the stars, who are Jonah Hill and Michael Sarah play Seth and, and Evan, because it's a fictional dramatic retelling of kind of what Seth and Evan remember their lives being like. <laughs> and uh, I know there's a A little bit of a warning (laughs) at the start of any episode. I feel like I should give an additional (laughs) warning. This is. I mean,
1: if South Park (laughs) isn't bad enough, this is going to be worse. Well, this is,
0: I'll I'll put it to you this way. This is by far the most crude source material we've done so far. So there's going to be probably more swearing, certainly more dick comments. I mean, at this rate a year from now, Luke and I will be reviewing porn videos. (laughs) Why so long? Ah, right back to Ron Jeremy. <laughs> there we go. If you are an, a person in any way whose temperament is not particularly, or your bucket is not filled at all by swear words or <laughs> comments on penises or vaginas or butts or boobs or anything in that <laughs> basic arena, I would probably advise this is not an episode for you. <laughs> like South Park, the crudeness is kind of playing two, well, probably three roles here. But one of them is it's kind of shock value. So it's crude humor and shock value humor, at least at one level, help you stand out from other things around you, which I think is what South Park did when you you consider about shows that are of that era. It's certainly much more crude than The Simpsons was (laughs) when it came out. This is a good point. I think that crudeness hides it's a good facade to hide something deeper because then you have to go look for it a little bit harder because it's not where you expect it to be. And then I was going to, I was going to bring this up later, but whatever. (laughs) Sorry come out now. So this movie came out in 2007. And one of the reasons that I think it, just watching it again, it's one of those movies that just feels like it stood the test of time. But 2007, probably a couple more years after, but I feel like 2007 might have been a banner year as the culminating era of the cultural defeat of the hegemony being held by the conservatives. And when Luke says
1: conservatives, he means people... Like like social conservatives. Yeah, like people who are more interested in tradition and keeping things the Mm -hmm. way they've always been and puritanical to
0: some (laughs) degree. Yeah, this is a sociological point that I would contend and argue is that the era that you and I grew up in is like 1996 to uh, 2007. Like that era of culture and TV was the beginning of the end of the taboos on sex jokes, violence jokes, crudeness. South Park beginning it, and I think I could. I, I think Super Bad is how would you phrase it? Super Bad is a pinnacle or a an inevitable end game of the crumbling of the hegemony in the culture that says, "Hey, you can't make movies like this." And Superbad said, "Well, fuck you. Yes, we can." And, <laughs> and not only can you make it; it's pretty popular, wasn't it? Oh yeah, it made a lot of money and it was very popular, and it still maintains. And so, what I'm saying is that I think that the crudeness of Superbad is indicative of an era of time where the people to rebel against that was the best way to
1: do it. Okay, okay, so I want to dig into this. Why do you think, I'm not disagreeing, but I want to know why you think being crude is a, an act of nobility in rebellion? Because you're painting it as noble to to rebel. Burke would probably disagree, but I want to know why you <laughs> Well, he's think, even way more back. <laughs> I want to know why you think that this is a uh, proper use of, that this
0: is a noble rebellion. Because I think that, So when I was a kid in the 90s, the people who were the creative types making cool movies and music and TV shows, you know, would have been in their 20s and 30s. And then they are at loggerheads often with people probably in their 40s, 50s, and 60s who are in control of all of these media outlets, like movie studios, TV studios, etc. And again, this is before it's an interesting coincidence with the before during and rise of the internet and how that interplays. And I think that plays a big role too, because you can advertise differently when you have the internet. But for your question, I think that the creative types in the 90s and early 2000s, the most censorious attitudes they had to deal with were of like a kind of evangelical, Christian, conservative hegemony on the airwaves, were the people who can have the jobs and who can tut tut and who can write letters in complaining are saying, oh my gosh, you showed a boob, my poor children's eyes, you know, or there was a a kind of a higher than thou condescendence or condescension on things specifically sex related. And jokes specifically sex related, that I think South Park was a, a, a ceiling smasher in this kind of thing. It's like, well, no, we can actually make all these jokes we want and we'll be super popular. We don't need your censorious attitudes, uh, unsolicited opinions on our show. Thank you very much. So I think that why the crudeness, specifically the crudeness of Superbad, I think is okay, that's the end game of the freedom gained for a creative outlet to make something that they want to make and they can I think it's specific to Superbad in that it it does capture how teenagers talk (laughs) they certainly or or certainly certainly how they well I don't think it's just teenagers I think usually if you get a group
1: of guys of a certain type (laughs) sure well there's so there's
0: an element of realism in the interplay of the the you know older teenage boys for sure and I think for the movie specific it's because What's actually happening in Superbad is such a deep take on friendship and how to deal with the first real big transition of life that these two guys haven't really ever had to deal with before.
1: So is, do you kind of see it as high subverting? It. Is subverting? It's subverting the, you know, getting guys to watch it. It's kind of like how people got... Or how the directors got people to watch Game of Thrones with yeah. a lot of boobs, and then they got <laughs> sure, them really yeah. interested in fantasy. Well, I think it's a way to smuggle in something deeper. So you, the crudeness is a, is a way to smuggle. It's it's would, is it's that a, why you would say it's, it's part. That's part of it. It's for sure. I mean, with South Park, we could easily say that. Their countercultural slap everyone in power in the face is a way of smuggling and their valuation of, of you know, free, a free society mm-hmm. in which they, you can criticize anything. Like, yeah. that's their highest value, I would say. I just don't know if I agree that Superbad is is nearly as noble, let's say, as South Park.
0: No, I don't. I, I wouldn't. It, it, well, nobility, I mean, what is it? I, it's kind of a, well, I mean, how like, it strikes it's you. Well, trying to make the world better. And I just, I don't really see, I mean,
1: I enjoy Superbad, but I don't really see how Superbad is improving anything. And and therefore, how the rebellion is somehow more good than bad if we're going on a,
0: you know. Well, it's making people laugh, and that's an improvement of sorts. I mean, I watched this movie even now, like, uh, what is it, 12 years later since it came out, and it is still, like, it still makes me guffaw as much as it did when it came out making the world better I think it's giving a very accurate snapshot of an era and a relationship type and so in the sense that it's a perennial like I think this is a perennial story there's a weird recurrence to the idea of young people getting a bit older and realizing what that's actually going to mean for them in a way that they haven't really thought about before because of the scope of their world has been i mean for for Seth and Evan the scope of their world up till now has been <laughs> getting drunk with McLovin or fogel and looking watching at porn, porn watch yeah. porn in the basement and now with this looming college on the horizon and this first like like I said the first major transition of their life yeah, I wouldn't call it noble I, as much as it's a um, reflection a perhaps. reflection yeah. on what it's like to be in this era of your life and how painful that can be especially if it goes unacknowledged for a long period of time. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that is hidden by the crudeness. I think the crudeness exists. I don't know exactly why it exists other than I would say that because Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg are in their late 30s so they're a little older than us but they're in the same era they would have grown up with that same kind of conservative tut-tutting on all things sex that was annoying <laughs> like it's just a fucking annoying to be tut-tutted at by people who think they're better than you mm-hmm. and i don't have any hard data on this it's just kind of my remembrance of the era and like things that i remember and it could have just been people in my life but I remember news reports or people like oh especially with South Park it was like this crazy new show that's corrupting our children. And I'm just I'm, I I as I got to be a teenager I'm like well why the hell do you get to say what's corrupting me or not like let me try and figure that out for myself. And so again not noble but I mean I guess super bad is is a hilarious middle finger to everyone who thinks that they're better than that.
1: It does <laughs> it does seem to be that. Yeah. I and I,
0: and that. I I don't know like I have always been attracted to artists who seem so free in their medium and their endeavor and like so unencumbered with worry about what is going to be thought about it. And like, there's no way you could have made super bad with being like scared of what no. <laughs> people were no, thinking about what you were going to yeah. say, especially with how like free flowing the dialogue is. I mean, I will say, from like just an aesthetic point of view, of the many things to love of this movie, the dialogue is incredible just the random things that they talk yeah, about they, with such it flow. Does, it
1: does seem like a fairly indicative of conversations you could just naturally have with a close friend
0: yeah and on a personal note I would say I the one of the probably the biggest reason I loved, like super bad came out when I was 20 so younger than the actors right, <laughs> or right. the same age as Joe but like younger than them in the movie but just the way that they talked with each other and their friends was exactly how i remember talking in ways that weren't meant meanly or cruelly to anyone although they were crude but just like this is kind of how you were fitting in with your friends you know and so there was a there was a wave of empathy i guess that i had for the the two guys seth and evan in the in the movie that captured uh, and maybe this will make this particular episode not timeless. <laughs> but I think Super Bad captured an era and the era of the mid two thousands, better than almost any movie of that time. Like maybe role models, but then again, those are adults, those aren't kids, right? Like if you think of like if you think of the coming of age movies through the decades, in the eighties you have The Goonies and Stand By Me. I mean, what would nineties you have uh, I don't even know the the great coming of age movies of the nineties. <laughs> yeah, we'd have you to know? ask Kendall. He would know all that. Yeah, but if you think of like the two thousands coming of age movie, like Superbad, it's just sure. right there for you know? Know? sure. And and I would just to bookend this point on the era. What about the American Pie movies? Are they yeah, really, yeah, yeah. They're a kind of yeah. They're like again, but they're part of this this same era, beginning. Right? Well, I, I like,
1: remember all of these coming out, and they were yeah. like you'd have. Like when you were hanging out with your
0: buddies, those were the movies that you rented, and everyone was like, oh, when it came out in 1999, American Pie was so transgressive, and it is way tamer. Oh, it's so tame, man. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's so funny to think of that, but you it know? was like the yeah. dirty movie. And, and, but I'll put it to you this like, maybe this grants the not timelessness of it. We'll see. I don't think that. I both I don't think Superbad would work now if it came out. Like I don't think a movie. I mean, there is a new movie out, kind of uh, Good Boys, I think it's called, where they're as potty mouthed as in Superbad, but they're like ten, I think 10, 11. So there's that quirk to it too. They're not seventeen or eighteen. They're just little kids talking like this, you know. But I think the censorious temperament in our culture doesn't come from social conservatives anymore. Like I don't think they no. have the cultural power. They're, they're more sitting in their own yeah. bunkers, basically like, so, we're, we're not
1: gonna watch those things, but like we're so not gonna I try don't make other think, not watch them.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I don't think that a movie like Superbad, which is again like these two big middle fingers to the cultural elite who are telling who are tutting, like that's not who it would be at anymore. So it wouldn't be as like it would feel more gratuitous. <laughs> you know? Like a movie like this where they're basically like Crude out their ass just to be that way. I don't know if it would be as funny as it was then because they were. It actually seemed like they were pushing against someone with power back then. Where I don't think. But yeah, it doesn't feel. I that don't way feel like that would be the case anymore. Which I is mean, why. the
1: president of the United States talks about grabbing women by the <laughs> pussy. So <laughs> yeah, I think exactly,
0: it's probably. Yeah, it's a
1: little. You know, the truth is stranger than fiction.
0: So, like, I think that there would be other. Here's my prediction. I bet you, if comedies ever come back, the next comedies will be on authoritarianism it'll be mocking authoritarianism or populism or wokeness because these are the cultural touchstones right now be great to see someone make a really good movie about mocking wokeness yeah I enjoy that movie well you don't even have to make the movie you no, just like just read mock the it, headlines mock it in general <laughs> yeah exactly so i think that's what i would say on the crudeness factor but and i think this is almost certainly a difference between you and me means that by temperament Crudeness and sex jokes are also my personal form of rebellion (laughs) because that was the area of life I felt was most disencouraged or uh, made me to feel bad about if I thought about it or talked about it. That was kind of like the, it wasn't a complex that certainly didn't rise that level, but if there was a complex, it was a shame complex based around all of this stuff, just kind of based on the culture I was raised in. And as I got older, that started pissing me off because I was like, well, I actually don't think this this is a bad thing. I don't think swear words are bad things. I don't think <laughs> making a dick joke makes you a bad person or that if there is a God, he's going to give a shit about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so who the hell are you to tell me that that is the case? Because you don't know either.
1: I wonder, this is something I think about a lot. What is it about those? Because, I mean, I agree that I think that was instilled in both of us, and there is there is a shame around it. Like, not, not a, I don't feel shame about it anymore. But I also think you're right about the generational thing. Like, I have a, a group of very close friends that I'm asked with most people in our generation I have a chat group with. Of course. And, like, sometimes we just go nuts, right? <laughs> and it will be, like, you know, full-on dirty, raunchy shit. <laughs> and that's kind of how guys, you know, joke around sometimes in yeah. a certain generation, which is our generation, I would say. Mm-hmm. But what is it like, would you talk that way at a dinner party, right? And like, are there? why are there times when we do and do not speak that way? And I've been thinking about this uh, since re- re-watching Superbad. I think it's because those things are things that people are ashamed of in general. I don't think it's actually an evangelical Christian thing or anything. I think it's just like sex is kind of gross and messy for people in general, right? It's just, like, it's a messy topic. Mm. Like, think about dick size. Like, there are a lot of guys that are really (laughs) fucking insecure about the size of their dick, right? right? And there's a lot of guys who are really insecure about sex in general, Mm -hmm. and they make jokes about it because they're insecure about it. Or there's a lot of women who are insecure about their bodies or insecure about their, you know, sexual performance or whatever it might be, men and women. And I think because there's so much value placed insects by humans and i think that's biological i think it's like reproduction is our number one drive so it's kind of one of those things that we don't really know how
0: to deal with on a conscious level which is why we joke about it that might be true i mean i don't know like for me personally, I'm not too insecure about it. So for uh, for me, it was always a much more r- rebellious thing. Well, yeah, like I, 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 I'm I, yeah. confident about that. What you're, but I'm I'm saying you wouldn't go to like a fancy dinner party and start. Well, maybe you would, and start making <laughs> sex jokes, would you? The only way I would is if someone said, "Hey, don't do this," <laughs> right. right? Because it would. Uh, what See, I, would, I don't I don't know if I, I don't what believe I,
1: that because like if like someone got really drunk and was really belligerent to a host and like offended them, right? you would think that that was the wrong thing
0: to do. No, it's, it's, not, it's not actually the crudeness or non-crudeness that is the crucial variable. It's, it's what kind of social propriety does one person think that they have the right to put on another? And so it's more the attitude of the people I'm around that dictates what I feel like saying as opposed to like a specific word or not.
1: Yeah, I can understand that. But like, for example, if say you think someone's just a cocky piece of shit, and you're at their house, and you tell them you think they're a cocky piece of shit, and or maybe you call them a slut, um, <laughs> and you because you think they are. You wouldn't think that was acceptable. So why is it acceptable to be crude around people just because they the cr- crudeness is something that they don't appreciate?
0: Because uh, it's just words. Okay. It's so what's the difference? Human... T- both are just words. Uh, well, sorry, are you saying that I wouldn't call someone a cocky asshole? No, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying,
1: (laughs) but you would probably not think that was the appropriate thing to do in a situation. There
0: might be a better way to uh, phrase it if I'm talking to a person directly based on what you're trying to get out of it, which I think is different than just like exposition. We're talking about things in the world. It would depend on the type of conversation and the type of style. I guess the question I have is
1: saying something's purely for the purpose of offending someone or it wouldn't be purely for the purpose of offending someone else, but... In the knowledge that it would f- offend another person and with the intention of getting at them because they're pretentious. Right. Is that a valid way of acting in the world?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Okay. I think so. I think it's valid in this sense that to have someone who is on a higher pedestal than you who has some sort of leverage that kind of has is, is saying, hey, this is what's okay to talk about and this is what is not... I mean, this is a perennial issue and not just <laughs> crudeness. Like, this is political opinions. This is what you think about any given hierarchy or any, like, any person in any movement. This is a lot bigger than crudeness. And I think I err on the side of the people you do have to watch out for the most in society are the ones who are most interested in the censorious temperament in yeah, any and tell, form and telling you what you can and cannot yeah, in do. any form and that's why i that's my more than anything that's why i think crude humor dominated the late 90s and most of the 2000s because it was the end of a dominant social culture that was able to have power against crudeness and say this is corrupting where, our you, kids, could, where you couldn't stop swear it. Yeah, it. on like on on tv yeah, right? primetime tv yeah, yeah. And that's why I think those shows flourished because there was enough technology and enough young people to be like, well, no, fuck you. You can't tell us what we want to watch, want to listen to. That's not up to you. This is our our lives. And so that's, again, a sociological reason. I think that personally, no, I don't go and just be a bore and an asshole and be crude on purpose just to get a rise out of people. Mm -hmm. But I think that (laughs) if almost everyone I knew had that kind of pretension and higher than thouness about sex, I would be much more inclined to do it. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the I fact can. that most people aren't like that is probably contributes mostly to why I'm I'm not like that. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I Fair mean? Fair enough. Fair enough.
1: Okay, let's get into
0: Yes. Seth, who is played by Jonah Hill is, I guess, there's, they're both main characters, but he kind of... I think he has probably more lines, just slightly, just because he talks more than Evan does. One of his first lines in the movie is, don't make me feel weird for looking at porn. Right. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man. I, I don't, this is not going to turn on to a meditation about porn. Yeah, because that would be really Porn is porn. bad in any way that it's not voluntary. It's bad. And it's bad in the sense that it can... Uh, disrupt people's expectations of what they might get us especially younger people other than that let it go (laughs) like leave people alone let them jerk off (laughs) you know like it's going to be impossible to talk about this movie without talking about shame it's just normal yeah it's interesting because like
1: I think we need to be in a space as a society where we can address that it's not always normal and that there are some serious problems arising from pornography. Oh yeah, yeah, no pornography usage, and not only that—that that probably a lot of it isn't consensual. And how do you determine what is consensual and what isn't? Yeah, it's not an easy
0: question. I'd wonder if there are websites like like rate porn sites for how consensual or oh, not. Man, there. I don't, I don't do know. Useful. <laughs> I, I think there.
1: It's one of those weird things that it is. It, it seems like it's a kind of a black and white issue for people. I don't think i I don't think almost any issue is black and white. No, And I think there's enough nuance in any situation. But uh, I mean, I, I guess I would say that things like child abuse—that's a black and white, of course. 100% yeah, 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 murder. But I, I guess I disagree with you saying just leave people alone because I do think there's actually some serious social justice problems around it, and not just that. I think genuine addiction problems that are kind of destroying people's lives
0: yeah but there are addiction problems with alcohol and but nobody would say there isn't well i'm i'm kind of i guess i'm approaching this from the other end of the spectrum where i'm like yeah of course there are addiction issues with porn just like anything else the stigma on porn is, I think, a lot harsher, or maybe not anymore. I but don't it was think there's hardly harsh. any
1: stigma around it anymore. Do you? I mean, one of my favorite yeah, again, this could is, be 99 gen- of men have watched <laughs> porn, and the other one percent have been known to lie. So. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, again, this could be a generational thing. The internet is for porn. <laughs> uh, this uh, this could be a time thing again. Where it, back back in 2007, maybe it was more shame based than it is now. I well, would it say. just was not nearly as prevalent. Yeah. Uh, like, I
1: mean. Porn magazines were kind of seen as these dirty, weird things (laughs) that that people looked at. But now, like, everyone's carrying a lot of porn in their pocket that they can access at any time, right?
0: Yeah, and there's some comedian that has a great bit about – it might be Bill Burr, actually. He has a great bit on how – Kids today will never know what it's like to earn their porn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to yeah. have to like hide it from your parents and to have a magazine and to like, re- like you really felt like you earned that orgasm <laughs> at the end. Oh whereas boy. it's just take this I mean, uh, out. Yeah. I mean, the serious problem here is like people were just looking at pictures. That was it. That was the whole game before. Yeah. So. If you haven't seen Super Bad, and for some reason you are still listening to this episode, <laughs> it's a movie that takes place over a day and then a night. So it's like one of those movies that's only one, it's like less than a 24-hour period. It follows Seth and Evan, who is Jonah Hill and Michael Sarah, in their last day or one of their last days of high school. They're graduating in a couple weeks. They have a friend named Fogle who gets a fake ID which says McLovin on it, which is a big part of the humor of the movie. Fogle and he gets so this fake ID he's gonna buy alcohol, they're gonna go to this party where there's two girls that they have crushes on that they hopefully are gonna sleep with so they get good at sex before college. <laughs> Seems to be
1: what the Jonah Hill character Seth is more care yeah. about more than
0: Yeah. Uh but really I would say deep down he's much more anxious about his separation, his imminent separation from Evan, who is his best friend, and they're so tight and close. And so the movie is actually a shenanigan based movie. It's just, there's so many, I call it a pastiche. Like there's so many just unrelated plot points that happen that are not unbelievable, but kind of unbelievable (laughs) that they would ever have, like they're physically possible, but just they don't seem like it would ever be what would happen because the characters they run into are absurd, especially the police. The, The surrealism of the two cops, Michaels and Slater in this, Bill Hader and... Seth Rogen himself play, are, are just like, no, nobody's like that. <laughs> and so as the day and night turns on and we they get drunker, we learn more about their real feelings. And then the movie culminates at the end. The next day they've kind of made up. They've had some pretty weird things happen with the girls they like. They end up going to the mall. They run into the girls they like and the movie ends. So it really is like a, it's just a touching coming of age story, isn't it? Yeah, touching. <laughs> yes, emphasis <laughs> on the touching. This was an interesting one to me. She looks like a good fucker. (laughs) Okay, This is is a line Seth says to Evan about Becca. And as we learn later in the movie, Seth is angry at Becca because of some childhood trauma that she revealed about him. But he says, I mean this as a compliment. And it was interesting. It's like Seth makes this point himself. He says... You know, it would be a compliment if someone said I gave a good, I was a good fucker. So why isn't it a compliment for a girl <laughs> it says she's a good well, fucker oh, too? This is an easy answer. <laughs> this is super easy.
1: Okay. Women are the gatekeepers of sex, right? And they're also the ones that pick partners, mm-hmm. like, and they pick the best, right? Yeah. And so for a girl to, when a girl is considered a good fucker, it probably means she's fucked a lot, which means she's not very selective, which means she doesn't have the option of selecting the best possible mate. Whereas for a man, that's not how
0: it works. Yeah. That was more evolutionary than I thought it was going to go. Fair enough. No, that's a good answer. But I, but I also am wondering so, then... So it's a pretty obvious why okay, it, well it would then, be better for a man to be called a good fucker. Okay, okay. So then how do we fly the perch on this aspect of evolution then? As we've flown the perch on others, so why yeah, we, make we underst- more equal. We understand, yeah, we understand this is an aspect. But well, we can't violate. But we can, we can get around biology, and we have mm-hmm. lots of ways of doing that. Humans are very innovative, but we can't overcome biology. Yeah, but I th- it's like an attitude shift when you look at someone who is, if it's something that someone wants, is it? I don't think. Like, I think that the part of our brain that can say, "Well," you know what, I actually don't think she's a bad person for having slept with lots of people, you mm. know? And it's something that, if you're gonna take seriously the idea of working towards something like social and political equality, I mean, it's certainly not highest on <laughs> the tableau of things to care about, but sexual performance would be one of the categories. <laughs> here's, here's what I mean. Like, when, when Seth said that line in the movie, I was like, yeah, you're right. Like, I don't think that that's a, shitty thing to say about a girl do you know what i mean right but i mean
1: i guess we can we we try to do this with a lot of things and i think it's important to do we while we try to overcome our biology and mm-hmm. be beyond it and be yeah. more civilized
0: we're not ne- we're never gonna not in our lifetime maybe not but i think it's like, worth that's gonna be ingrained it's so, worth talking so, about it doesn't strike me as a blow a, if you take the opposite of a guy, where you're like, "Well, he's a man whore." He, yeah, he's he's a man I mean, whore, but then, but he's really bad at it. <laughs> you know, like that would be a a pretty deprecating thing to say about someone. <laughs> That's true. Like that That's would be true. a pretty big blow to. The I mean, esteem. but that would be something
1: that would happen in a in a locker room for sure. Like it'd be like, Oh yeah, you sleep with a lot of women, but your shit, I hear your shit in it or something <laughs> like that. <I'm> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: This is a, wouldn't surprise Well, I mean, me. I've talked to enough girls in my life and women who, you know, I'm either with or friends with, and you know, we'll have real life conversations. And there, there is a kind of, uh, an aura or, or an explicit overture about, women saying yeah they want to be good at it they want to please their mates or whoever they're with and so i don't think it's like a shyness necessarily it might be for some women but i don't think like that's
1: that's I think built just, in. i think
0: it's just really different for women because it is
1: so easy you can go, go into a bar and, and if you point basically if you point at a guy and say, Come home with me. Like, <laughs> yeah. Unless you're really unattractive it's not an
0: accomplishment. Yeah. Well, I think there is that it's study just not on, hard on a campus where it was like an attractive woman asked. I know, and like every a, a six, single seventy-five <laughs> percent of the men yeah. said right away and an attractive guy and like zero so, percent. So I guess that's yesterday. what I
1: mean by biology. It's it's not an accomplishment to have slept with a lot of people for
0: a woman. I guess it's not, not hard.
1: And so why would you praise someone for doing
0: something easy? Well, I don't think it's the actual Well Yeah, no, you're right. I wouldn't praise someone. Yeah, but I and that's what it would be. But it's not doing it, it's being good at it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you know what, I could I could agree with
1: what Seth is saying here. Like I, there are women that you look at and you're like, You're probably really good at having sex. Like <laughs> and, but sometimes you're wrong, right? And like that, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, then you're and judging in, people just by their appearance or their sexual capabilities. Like, I don't know. Yeah, then you're in a swamp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then you're in a swamp.
0: I don't know. It just is like an interesting thing. I see what um, you're saying. On the
1: path to, I guess, my equality. I think, my point is, I I understand why that dichotomy exists. Because yes. Because I do think it's a very different situation for men and women.
0: Yeah, that's things. a good point. That's that's fair. That's a definite tempering on my enthusiasm about that question. <laughs> okay. But not a total <laughs> extinguishment. <No>. <laughs> <laughs> he's a klutz because he likes jewels, but this is the most interesting thing I think about Seth. He's he's making so the Dartmouth is the college that Evan is going to attend and Fogel Right, That's the name. They're going to Dartmouth. Seth didn't get into Where Dartmouth. Where is Dartmouth? I don't know. I don't know. Is it a good school? It must be a good school. It's Good enough. <laughs> well, or... <laughs> too good for Seth. Now, yeah. what that's saying, now, I'm well, not yeah, sure. Yeah, we don't... Be... But I mean, we've seen
1: his, his baking abilities are not really up to snuff,
0: so... The first uh, psychological hint that you get that Seth is not okay with this is... He makes a lot of cracks about Dartmouth, right? We learn early on, like in the first scene, I think, well, it doesn't, doesn't would Evan's uh, mom. Evan's mom walk yeah, over and be says, like, I you heard you didn't get each into other? Dartmouth. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, we don't miss each other. We don't <laughs> I don't miss each, each other. That's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, but Seth is making a lot of cracks, like sarcastic quips about Dartmouth, right? And I was like, oh, okay. This is, I mean, obviously, I know what's happening in this movie. I've seen it <laughs> probably <laughs> over 10 times in my life. But it's like, You got to pay attention to what people comment on, not even just what even what they're saying about it, but like how much they comment about it and their style of commenting on about it. Right. Because there's a lot of heartache between Evan and Seth that would have been saved if they had been more forthcoming with each other about their feelings about Dartmouth. And if you have good intuition about other people, when someone like Seth starts making the comments that he does about Dartmouth, that's when Evan should have piped up be I mean, like what's
1: your issue yeah like what's again? what's
0: going on here about this you know and I just think that that's an interesting red flag/ slash PSA kind of thing is like I mean I feel like I'm pretty intuitive like I I've always scored high on intuition on personality tests and stuff like that and I'm like oh okay ooh the edge of that comment is a little bit off from when that person's on you know and every edge of Seth's comments about Dartmouth are off. And I'm picking up on it as the audience, you know? Yeah, And so, so it's his like his best friend should be picking up on it. His best friend should be picking up on it. But then even more, like, okay, how do you best approach that kind of situation? You know, because it is tricky because it's kind of about Dartmouth, but he could just, you know, Seth can very easily slough it off as to something else. Oh, no, I'm just making a joke or whatever. It's like you're covered in grease. Like, it's hard to pin someone down with sarcasm and yeah sideways comments exactly right? what they're doing yeah like i don't know like have you ever do you have any strategies for dealing with something not head-on well, i try to just go no, not like you deal with it head-on but like no i i usually like if i get a sense that
1: so my friend josiah and i have a very uh deep and relationship and even when we're talking online i know just by how he responds to what i say and comments that he makes whether he's in a good mood or not right and i'll be like what's up buddy yeah and yeah, yeah. i'll be like what's the matter what's bugging you for example and i'm sure he won't mind me sharing this like <laughs> He was going out to do a campaign halfway across the country, and we live in a very big country, so it's a long way away, <laughs> and yeah. he was going to miss his wife, and he was going to yeah. miss uh, one of his anniversaries, uh-huh. and he was bummed out about that, and so when we were talking, I could just, I could tell that he was super bummed out, mm-hmm. and I was like, what's the matter, buddy, and he kind of, you know, so then he, then he shared with me, but he probably wasn't going to volunteer that information if I, and I think, honestly, I I don't know if we can judge Evan and Seth too much on this because, like, they are really young. Yeah. And it's hard. But I think when you build a deep and meaningful relationship with someone, just say, What's up, buddy? Or, 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 uh, I have another friend, uh, who's going through some rough stuff right now. And sometimes you just got to be hard on them. Yeah. And be like, Look, man, like these decisions you're making are causing you a lot of grief. And if you want to change and if you're up actually upset, like, I've had friends take me on walks and be like, Dude, You're fucking your life up. Yeah. Like, stop. Yeah. And that's real friendship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think think the answer to that is if you get a sense that there's something, you just have to address
0: it. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I I like that, too. Because the thing is, too, it's not just the maintaining of the friendship, although that's a huge component of it, but it's someone like Seth's psychological well-being. He's passively self-torturing and passively feeling tortured by the fact that Evan can't See that in a way, even though he can't see it either. Well, like it's, he, it's no, very, I mean, deep. we
1: find out later in the movie that he'd known for a long time, right? Yeah. And yeah. he'd wished that Evan had told him, but like, this is a shitty way to treat other people, too. It's like you find out something. I hate it when people do this. Like, <laughs> oh man, there are a few things in life I hate more than someone actually was watching Leonard Kenny, the show the other day, right? And uh, uh, this one character is, is being passive aggressive and like basically not talking to the person to make them do something, right? And then at the end of the show it's basically like, well you were passive aggressive so we're breaking up because like that's not how you deal with with issues. And it's like that's the fact that this is Seth's way.
0: He won't just address it with Evan. Well, and it gets way worse than yeah. sarcasm, well, yeah. right? <laughs> like because he he lashes out in a cruel manner, especially to Fogel. He's so mean to Fogel because Fogel or McLovin represents him and Evan's separation because he knows that he's going to Seth knows Fogel's going to Dartmouth too what he doesn't know is that they're going to be roommates uh, Evan yeah. and Fogel but he knows that he's going and the even the physical instantiation of Fogel in their lives reminds him that he's going to be separated from Evan and this hurts him so bad because he doesn't know how to deal with it. So his defense mechanism is just to lash out and be a total asshole to Fogel, who Fogel's a bit of a shithead himself, <laughs> definitely. Oh, I mean, a huge shithead. But but he, I, I still, like, one of the things I noticed this time watch is that I feel like Seth is meaner to Fogel than is deserved in any, oh, in oh, the any whole, sense. The whole right? time, you yeah. Know?
1: And I agree. And this is interesting because I think this is a big aspect of emotional maturity is that when you're going through something that bothers you, how do you react to those around you? Are you taking your shit out on other people? And like, this is the most basic way to fuck up
0: your life, <laughs> is taking your shit. And then <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> like, if you're going to have a joke self-help book, the, the most basic way, way to fuck, fuck up, up your life. life. <laughs> well, yeah, because
1: nobody wants your shit like that. No. There's people who want to help you clean up your shit. There's people who want to like, help you work through emotional turmoil. And like, I'm going to be frank. I would say, at least once a week, I'm talking to a friend about something that's bothering me or some like issue that I'm having or like some anger or whatever it might be. Right. Like I'm dumping that, but I'm not dumping it on saying you're a shithead. I hate you or, 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 or attacking. I try very hard to process because like life is hard and shit happens. and Bad decisions are made and you got to process those so you should be addressing those with your friends but taking it out on someone like
0: come on like mm-hmm. it's just a low low form mm-hmm. of self help well and i and i think that well i mean obviously from the movie standpoint we aren't given this level of dislike for seth probably because he's so young still you know and this is part of his learning and i mean it's so hard to remember how much we've grown! Oh, <laughs> you I remember, remember being but, like that. But then, I remember taking yeah, shit out, and I, yeah. I'm like, it's embarrassing. Yeah, it is embarrassing. Oh man, yeah. You just think of some of the. Well, this is a f- crazy thing about this movie is that some of the motifs it gives of the way that I acted when I was you know 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 that I'm just like I facepalm. I know, <laughs> you know it's, it's like, like so hard. I'm laughing at Seth for being this way, and yet I have definitely... I was like that sometimes. But then you have to like remember, like, oh, well, brains are still growing, and you know, emotions <laughs> yeah, you are still be, forming. You I mean, have a little grace with yourself. But yeah, but. you're right, because this is, again, instantiated in the... He's mad about Evan's condom lube plan, but really he's just mad about being left out of a plan. Right? Yeah. Like, in general... Right, that's pa- a good insight. The yeah. pain that he has over something so stupid as... Uh, what <laughs> I was like, these girls are 18, they're good to go, <laughs> you know? Like, he's it, the crudeness, again, is masking a real pain that he has of, oh, you've left me out. And he has a line near the end, he's like, you left me out of this decision just, and you left me out of Dartmouth. You know, like, when they actually have their cathartic, uh, drunken fight over their fact that they're separating and that they're not going to be able to see each other anymore. What the major psychological thing Seth reveals is that, this has been bothering him in every facet. This is <laughs> right? like his all-consuming yeah. torment, basically. Yeah. and and so, like, and it is, like, from a narrative perspective, it is teased super well because it's not hidden and it's not obvious either. But it's like, in retrospect, it's a lot more obvious, which is why I think this movie is very well-structured for its deepest point which is the relationship separation anxiety, and I liked that a lot. Uh, There is a funny joke that you make. This plan's been fucked since Jump Street, which is hilarious. 21 Jump Street. Because he was also in Jump Street, right? He likes Jules, but doesn't know she doesn't drink. Like, he has a crush on her. This is, oh, yeah, I want to go He's built up in his head again. This is good. And she just wants him to be Seth. And he's completely floored by the fact that Jules is interested in him outside of being drunk. And this is oh, consciousness man. raising for him. Th- this is the right? part of the movie that I like get pretty angry about,
1: and I get angry at past David. <laughs> but I also get this whole get girls drunk to sleep with them is probably one of the is actually toxic
0: masculinity. Yeah, think, no, you know? for sure.
1: Yeah, like using women be- because they're oh, it just it, it. That
0: disgusts me. To to be fair to. Seth and Evan in the movie. Well, Evan has a much less interest in this than Seth does. The tenor that I get, and it's a com- it's This is a comedic riff. This is why it's supposed to be funny. Is that it's kind of like Seth is basically basically saying we're so pathetic. Well, he, he legitimately <laughs> that said no one... <laughs> we could be that mistake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He says yeah. that yeah. line. Right? They're, like they're not the kind of um, no, he, he's not jock. Like-
1: Oh, uh, I, I understand uh, that, but actually, I don't playing. think it's the jocks that are necessarily the problem. I actually think it's like the incel. Like, we oh, could never, sure, yeah. We yeah. could never sleep with anyone. I don't, it makes a joke out of it with Evan getting drunk so he can, because <laughs> they're both drunk, so it's <laughs> yeah, not yeah. wrong. Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. But yeah. And then the other thing is this is me being mad at past David, but it's not getting to know a person as a person. Sure. And instead getting to know them as like the object of your fantasies. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even just talking about sexual fantasies. I'm talking about like you create mm-hmm. some kind of romance. I mean, I, go- I riff on this a lot, but like, I hate romantic delusion. Yeah, because I think it fucks people's lives up. Sure. Yeah, and I think a lot of people have it. And then, and then when they actually get through the, the you know the haze of love or, or of infatuation, and they get on the on the other side, they're like, "What have I done?" Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the biggest
0: problems in our society. Yeah, no, for sure, that's a big problem. I what I would say, intre- like what I think is interesting about Seth, that maybe actually dovetails into both of those points as you made, is that I think. Seth specifically has these kind of bravado aspects to the way he talks about it that really again mask Seth to me is the pillar of insecurity. Yeah. In and this, but movie. I think
1: insecurity is a root of evil. No, I know, but I I think that part of his insecurity is that he actually really likes Jules. Yes. But what does he like about Jules?
0: Like we're not given the impression that he likes Jules as a person. Well, I don't know like there's this I think the scene where he's drunk talking to her and how she's so nice and fun and cool I think Seth's lack of vocabulary is or or lack of while well, he's hammered is contributing to why he's not able to better articulate his feelings about Jules. Okay, here's a good. The scene it, and it's again it's crude, which is why I enjoy it how endearing it is too, but when it's like the first scene where Seth and Jules interact. They're in the home They're ec cooking, class. Yeah. They're cooking. And Seth has been told by the teacher that Jules' partner isn't there today, so he can join her. And so he goes up to her and he says, oh, your partner didn't come today. And he's just meaning, you know, your partner's not here. And she says, oh, that's it's a little bit of a personal question, don't you think? Now, there's a, there's a half second in Seth's reaction to her comment. It's dawning on him that she's being playful. With him, right, and that playful aspect of especially of a potential romantic partner is one of the strongest aphrodisiacs, I think. And fair intimacy creating, yeah, situations. Yeah, and so I think again because Seth is an immature little fuck who has a good heart deep down, is that he's not able to understand how much he actually likes Jules. So he couches it in what he considers to be a social and culturally acceptable language, which is about getting drunk and hooking up. Right. And that's just more to unpack about his very insecure and damaged psyche based on losing his friend and actually having what he's calling like a crush that he wants to get drunk and hook up with. But actually, he really likes her and wants to probably get to know her better. Because in his moments where he's not being his bravado self, he's being really impressed by Jules. And so all of that to be why it's so kind of okay. You don't feel bad for Seth when he finds out that Jules is sober and that he's drunk and he he misplayed all this up to that point. You don't feel bad for him, but you do say, "Hey man, this is a learning opportunity, right?" <laughs> I right. Guess like I guess this is a get major that, learning but opportunity. But he needs to learn a
1: lot. I guess is what I'm saying. Oh, and for I, sure. And I don't. I don't think there's. <clears throat> justification for his behavior. I guess that's what I'm saying. No,
0: it's not a. It's not an excuse. I think it's a reason. You know, like, I don't know. Right, it's an we, explanation. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, okay. It's because, like, if you're just gonna, if you're an alien describing how the universe <laughs> works. Right, right, right. <laughs> if you were standing outside the moral sphere of things, that's what you would probably say. And I think that that's useful for someone like a psychologist or or uh, someone studying uh, <laughs> adolescent behavior. <laughs> right, <laughs> You right. know. Right. But it is consciousness raising to think like, hey, she likes me in her right mind what would that mean about what i do like what would that change about what i how i act how how i I act how i am you know and i I, the thing is more than anything i get an intellectual hard-on for things that are consciousness raising so for a good example in my life was when i first started really learning about evolution not just you were a monkey and now you're not, (laughs) you know, like not that how it works reading a book like the greatest show on earth by Dawkins, like reading a a little bit about how molecular biology works and how survival of the fittest is a very, (laughs) a, a massively incomplete way to think about how natural selection works kind of thing. And like, oh man, it's not even that it's not that this was advantaged this trait it's just that all the other ones didn't serve as well so this one kind of stuck around yeah and then timelines and speciation so you're just like holy crap this is a vista i've never even approached before that has revolutionized the way i think about the world you know and so that's obviously a a more noble let's say (laughs) or on a grand scale version of what i think education is intended to be which is consciousness raising like making you think about an entire vista of human knowledge experience etc that you've never considered before and how that might added impact your current paradigm right you know i mean yeah i think consciousness raising moments
1: are are what i live for and those can happen in a myriad of different ways i think at, at times Actually, I'll say this. Marijuana has often done that for me. <laughs> Good. And yeah. changed my whole perspective on something because I was in a different state of mind when I looked at that thing. And I love that. Yeah, I, it, It's not the only thing, by any means. I would say books are the primary way that I've yeah. f- experienced consciousness raising. But that's another way
0: to mm-hmm. do it. And Seth is a bit of a shithead, so I'm not exclu- he's not exculpated. I don't know. Yeah, I know. I know the word you're trying to say. I don't remember. How to say it. <laughs> exonerated. I, He's not exonerated. Sure. That, perfect. That's the one. I remember having imperfect interactions with girls when oh, I was a teenager. Well, right? yeah. I think. I th- and but and I, the learning that I had from imperfect interactions with girls, uh, where you know it was just advances were not accepted, or and then you know. Uh, you're kind of your feelings are hurt, or and the more positive, someone you didn't expect likes you just because of the way you are. <laughs> you know the more positive end of that shoe. Like both of those situations are, I think, a deep part of the learning of what it is to be a teenager in the world. The romantic element of life and how messy it is can hit you hard and fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it is consciousness raising, and and I think that that's a super important part of life that is clumsily <laughs> followed through with by Seth in this. You know, because the end of the movie, he's apologetic to Jules and he is seemingly ready to be better, at least, it, like, we don't well, know, yeah, we're we hoping we so. We have no idea how he's, Well, he's yeah. had that really heartfelt apology with Heaven yeah. where you feel like it could be. It's a movie that leaves on a sense of kind of whimsy and optimism, yeah. I would say. yeah. You know?
1: Okay, but I want to go into another thing that i really don't like about this movie is that this is the kind of movie and this is the false expectations that movies like this always give is that someone like jules is gonna like someone like seth (laughs) (laughs) it's stupid it's it's ridiculous it almost never happens in the wild and it produces a false i i really do believe it produces if you if a guy acted like seth Mm -hmm. Jules should not like him. No, you're right. And (laughs) I hope she wouldn't. And I would, if I ever have the joy of having daughters, I would teach them to like, stay away from (laughs) the face and never talk to him again. Right. And not give him another chance. Right. Not like him. And I think that is basic knowledge that you would want to teach your daughter. Sure. That someone who treats you that way and talks to you that way and acts that way is not someone you should be within a thousand miles of when you're, drinking or at all so then why do you think she likes him I don't, I don't i think it's unrealistic and i think they put it in the movie purely because it's the kind of thing that makes people like seth want to watch that movie
0: okay i mean i feel like that might be a a, a smidgen more cynical than i would be about it <laughs> although i don't think it's entirely unrealistic i would say i think that Jules liking seth is actually much less about Seth than it is about Jules in the movie, where I think that it's actually trying to paint someone who, you know, it's someone I kind of remember or a, a, an archetype of a person or, you know, a, a mild archetype of a person I remember from high school, who's pretty, but is very kind and authentic in their own skin. And I would say, that because we don't know, I mean, it doesn't happen in any of the movie, the benefit of the doubt Interpretation is, Jules has had enough interactions with Seth where he's not his bravado self, where he's his kind of accidentally maybe charming and funny self, where he's not trying that she's interested in. And again, I, I it, yes, it's unrealistic and probably in the movie to <laughs> sell it, but I mean, Superbad was a movie that is not just popular with people like seth like no, it was, I it, was understand. it was it had it was, a monopoly of fans. but a lot of people
1: who watched that movie were laughing at seth at, yes at, at him yeah not with him oh yeah not hoping for him though so those people who enjoyed it enjoyed it for that reason oh yeah but there were people i know who enjoyed it because and and that theme is actually something i saw a lot in this period of movies yes oh yeah for sure the, fuck up, yeah. gets the girl. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a incredibly toxic and damaging. And I, I want to go into further why I think it's toxic and damaging okay. worldview. Not only because it's bad for women, but it's particularly bad for men because it tells them they don't have to try, they don't have to be better, they don't have to succeed, they don't have to strive for anything. They can just be themselves and women <laughs> will like them. And I'm sorry, but if your self is someone like Seth, fix it. Yeah. Get over it. Nobody wants that. Like the world doesn't operate on those principles. Like right. the world doesn't operate on the principle that it's gonna give you something or you deserve something just by being your fucking self. No. Mm. I'm sorry. Be
0: something. Well accomplish things. Yeah, like, no, I, I agree. I mean, I just I think that it's it depends on which character you're focusing on. And I think if you focus on Seth, you're right. If you focus on Jules, like there's that part at the very end where when Seth is apologizing to her. She gives him a look that's so real. There's a two second shot where she's like kind of looking through her hair, and she's. I don't. I it's a look I've seen in so many real people when they're when they're feeling like they're getting a, 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 a smidgen of sincerity out of someone who isn't usually that sincere, and they want that. You know, it's kind of looking down, but kind of looking up at the same time to make sure that the person isn't lying when they're apologizing. That right, kind of thing, right. and that look she gives is so sincere and authentic and it shows that she has no pretensions of her own that regardless of whether or not it's realistic that she would ever care about seth in the movie is that it's showing that there is a person i actually consider it a super strong thing for her that that she actually doesn't care that she probably shouldn't like someone like seth from a social standpoint like she's i'm not talking about social for her own good well I mean, again, they would have to leave trail off and like, well, you know, (laughs) it's your brain. So you get to pick what you like, you know, that kind of thing. She seems like she knows what she wants, what she likes. And who are we to judge if it's someone like Seth? Because maybe she sees something we don't. And if she was someone in my life that I cared about, like a daughter, I would want all of those clarifications. And I would want her thoughts on all that. But to the point that she could defend those thoughts about why she liked someone like Seth. I think I would have to accept it. I mean, you don't and own your daughter. No, no, of course. I, just, like, yeah. I think it is the job of any parent to educate their children yeah. in
1: such a way that hopefully they be able to navigate the world to the least detriment possible mm. to themselves. Well,
0: I actually think Jules is maybe the most impressive person in this movie. <laughs> yeah, which is why I, I do not like
1: this situation, why yeah. I think it's ridiculous. Well, like, I- Evan makes sense, yeah, right, and it makes sense why, like, that's just kids liking each other, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and he's actually a good guy, and like he doesn't want, he he, he kind of goes after stuff. He's like, dude, they're not objects, yeah. Like, stop. Well, that's
0: me. a like, that's a good segue <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to, to talk it, Evan, about yeah. Evan. The fact that Jules isn't entirely repelled by Seth makes me think she sees something in him that we don't get in the movie right but
1: i get okay this is how i'll finalize it that happens to women all the time and they end up in abusive and ter- abusive and terrible relationships mm-hmm. because they see something special in someone
0: yeah and then I, I i hope if that were the case someone like Jules could be wise enough to see those signs too right it doesn't always happen but you want to have faith in people, <laughs> you yeah, know, to, yeah. to see through those shit. Hey, everybody. Dave and I just want to take a second to say thank you for listening. Making this podcast has been a great experience, and we really appreciate all of you who choose to spend some time with us. Part of our goal is to be super open about everything we talk about on the podcast. If you have any questions, concerns, thoughts, ideas, feedback, clarifications, or praise— please send us an email at reallytruefiction@gmail.com. at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Also, if you get your podcasts on iTunes or Spotify, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you get notified when a new episode is released. If you feel so inclined, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. That is a really good way to help new listeners find the show. And please pass the show along to anyone who you think may enjoy it. Again, thank you so much for listening, because as I'm sure you have gathered, we love talking. <laughs> But anyway, yes, Evan, very at the start, worried about the rules, concerned on where to park. He's the complete opposite of Seth, right? Seth is yeah. devil-may-care, doesn't, lose doesn't car, give a shit. Yeah. Evan's worried. <laughs> but there was a really hilarious, one of the early scenes with him, he's caught staring at Becca, his, that his crush. That is a funny scene. He's caught staring at her boobs, <laughs> and he's embarrassed, but it's something to think about to me, because like, as soon as she notices that he's staring at her boobs, he's like looking away at this, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, the math problem, I understand the math problem. But it was an interesting, it's like, I mean, and there is really no artistic or fancy way of putting this. So I'll, I'll phrase it into my own life. And so, you know, apologies to family members listening. But there was a situation in Korea where I remember I had a friend and I were talking about something like Saturday night. And then a particular dalliance came up in the conversation about a particular person. And it was nice. It was a lot of fun. And I'd had a good time. And we were kind of talking at the bar and the bartender was a guy who knew us, but like, obviously not that well, I guess. And then he was just like, man, Luke, it's so, so crazy. Like, cause you're just such a nice guy. And I just, it's so funny hearing you like talk about being with a woman, you know? <laughs> and and I, oh, I was weird. kind of, I was kind of taken aback by this for a second. <laughs> yes, it's like, yeah. I guess I don't really. But then uh, my, my only line was, well, nice guys get horny too, I guess. <laughs> And, and, and that's a really good line for Evan. Yeah. yeah nice guys get horny yeah. too. <laughs> and But I think I'm not going to make a big trumpet call on this because I don't think it's the world's most important issue. But I think it is worth keeping in our social and cultural minds that there's a non toxic, healthy level of male sexuality. Oh. Right. Yeah. And I and, 100% agree. And,
1: and that doesn't involve getting girls drunk. And
0: of it, course yeah. not. You know, it's, it's, this goes without saying, but it's everything's above board. But once everything is above board. It's like pretty fun. And and it's <laughs> yeah. and it's a cuz it's not just sex, it's intimacy creation and it's playful and it's part of the th- it's flirtation, right? All of these things, foreplay, all of these things are involved in that. And my experience has been that that's actually something that healthy level of male sexuality has been extremely enjoyed. My girls yeah. I've been with. Yeah, well, one of my favorite examples of this, like someone
1: that I admire greatly that I think does this really well, is Leonard Cohen. Okay. Like like really? when you read about him, like he was a lover, right? Like he had a lot of <laughs> lovers. And one of the things I love about him is all of the women that he slept with, and there was a lot. Loved him. And there was none of this, like, oh, yeah. he's a shitbag, blah, blah, blah. No, mm-hmm. like, he loved the women that he's with. I mean, listen to the songs he wrote. Sure, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very, very clear. <laughs> yes, it is clear. Uh, th- that he was that like, a, fu- a deep lover. But he did it in such a way that that you never read about a single woman that, okay, I'm sure there's one or yeah, something. Yeah, but, like, yeah. my point is he had all of this loving that he gave out and, and many multiple partners mm-hmm. and yet he made all of them feel special yeah and i think yeah. and didn't
0: didn't treat them like shit so yeah 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 no and and that's a great that's an awesome real world example especially because uh, musicians and rock stars can often be the opposite <laughs> it, yeah <laughs> yeah and he wasn't an uh, like uh, yeah. i could go on
1: about leonard cohen forever yeah but. yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> again not the hill i'm going to die on at this particular podcast but male sexuality isn't all evil or even mostly I just think the evil parts of it get all the press, yeah, uh, deservedly so. But th- because but I those think that need to get the cut vast out,
1: majority of sex that's had that's good, yeah, you know, yeah. is enjoyable for both parties, hopefully. And yeah, I agree.
0: There's nothing wrong with male and, sexual attraction. Yeah, and uh, probably most people who are attracted to men want a nice guy who gets horny. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. I wouldn't use the word nice guy. Or uh, someone pleasant to be around. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Even Evan builds up his experiences with Becca, and she probably just likes him, not what he does. So it's also something Evan struggles with, although not quite as as hard <laughs> as Seth does. But it's like I do like that. That is a, a perennial adolescent issue, right? And how many songs are about like being yourself, or like she likes me for me? Or, you know, Aladdin. Like, yeah, it, uh, exactly. Like our discussion in Aladdin. It's so great that it's perennial. He sticks up for Becca to yep. Seth, which, which is, I shows love. his I love solidness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's chivalrous and very awkward. Uh, <laughs> I love this line that he says because he's not above roasting Fogel a bit too when he gives when he shows that his name is McLovin. What are you trying to be, an Irish R&B star? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. He's such a and funny... And he's a smart guy too, yeah. and
1: I appreciate he's He's obviously a little bit nerdy, and I think Evan reminds me a lot more of kind of who I was back then. Obviously, you're... You're filled with all these hormones and things, but you want to kind of be, I mean, again, I don't like that, David, because the thing about (laughs) him was he was so pathetic. Like he was like, (laughs) the things he believed in were so annoying, Uh, like for like this romantic delusion of creating fantasies of people that aren't their real selves. And, And
0: like, you want to love the real person. Of course, but think about it like this, David, how far you've come from then true, true. and how much that means that you can, like that was what, like 10, 12 years ago, 13 years ago. So like that's not that long in the scale of your life and how consciousness raising that can be to see what you do next. True. You know, to me, that's part of the point of this movie, stripped away of all of the jokes. The point of this movie is like, hey, these lessons are hard, but you're learning them when you're young, and that's awesome because you actually still have so much of your life ahead of you to put this into perspective for the next stuff you do. Which
1: is funny because I, I think it does perfectly I- encapsulate the over-importance that we place as people that age on university. It's like, that's going to be the coolest years of and I, I had a great time at university. It yeah. was some of the coolest years of my life. But like the importance that they yeah. put on it, it's the like, overemphasis, yeah, way overemphasis. Like you're yeah. gonna live a lot more of your life outside of university. Than you're ever gonna live in it, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, definitely. Unless, well, unless you're my friend Tom, and then you're <laughs> you're gonna be the most educated person <laughs> yeah. in the world. Yeah,
0: but you brought this up before too. I, I know I talked about this. The perennial thing I love in characters is even our heroes, and Evan is. Like, kind of, even though Jules is the best person from a protagonist point, Evan is more our hero mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. the story. He doesn't want Seth to know about him living with Fogel. And again, it was like you said, it's better to tell the truth because even Evan is struggling with his own weird separation anxiety that he's feeling. Like, Seth, Seth's separation anxiety is much less hidden and more visceral, I would say. Evan's is also torturing him but he and he doesn't know how to talk about it he just is a little bit more mature already but it's still clearly painful to him because he doesn't know how to deal with it right i like that they show him that way because he is a nice guy but he's still in a weird way he's still doing what seth is doing which is not talking about the main issue and skirting around it i think this is something that people like evan struggle with is they
1: hate confrontation he obviously hates it in all elements of his life. He doesn't mm-hmm. want to confront his problems. Yeah. But he's also terrified of being alone. He's not living with Fogel because he likes Fogel. Like <laughs> He's literally like, no, I'm living with Fogel because I'm scared to go to university by myself. Yeah. I remember now, and I had a very more extreme version of this. I was homeschooled all the way up until <laughs> university. And then I left for university. I remember yeah. driving to university with my dad and being terrified. Terrified that my roommate would be bigger than me. That was my number one concern because <laughs> I just didn't want them to be able to beat me up. I don't know, like I never lived <laughs> with other people, and you're the oldest, so yeah, there's I never anyone there was, like, to no beat one you was up, beating me up before. And <laughs> that's so funny. And Like I, I remember that so vividly. I remember, like, you feel weird things when you're heading off into your own for the first time in your own life. You're not living with your parents anymore. Yeah, it's just
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty man. universal experience. That's a nice painting of someone who cares but because they're young they have these same anxieties you know when we show his compassion and this is the reference to the joke i made off the top she had back problems man because they yes, talk about yes, one girl who got yeah. breast reduction <laughs> and, and like he has seth, just is, have, seth and, is being selfish about
1: it yeah and, Evan's and like she, evan has compassion yeah. for her <laughs> like know? i'm
0: glad for her sake and then he cares about fogel when the cops come but seth is only caring about the money and the liquor and you know because everything is fucking with seth's mind about this and he's like sincerely worried about fogel so we're just like okay evan's a good guy evan's a good guy he just wants to tell becca how he feels he doesn't need to be drunk because he actually likes her to your point that you made about college he runs from the cops because he's scared for his future right (laughs) he needs to be more free mentally (laughs) like poor guy because you say it's like oh my whole life my whole life is going to be messed up you know and actually not really a joke even though it's funny in a way is that this actually that kind of reminds me a lot of what it was like teaching students in Korea because of like there's a humor in a very macabre sense when you have 10 year olds telling you about how ruined their life is going to be if they don't get a good grade on this specific test today in my class because then they won't get a good grade in this course and then they won't get a good grade in this year which means that they're not going to get to go to the right high school because high schools in Korea are often like colleges are like you have to get into good high schools so that you can get into good colleges cuz and it's like it's so fucking sad to see a 10-year-old dog like yeah, that. i mean you
1: know? i felt that way in university i'm applying to go to another university and so i'm putting yeah. together all my like stuff and and i looked at my grades and i and it was like a flashback of remembering I remember walking from getting a grade in French class back to my dorm with a buddy and saying, man, I'm doomed to a life of mediocrity because I'd got to be minus. Like, I legitimately thought, that's it. Oh. No. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so I, I really, I guess I would say I really identify with Evan's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: melodramatic view of the world. <laughs> I know, but it's its just, I guess it's too bad that, and, and especially because we could talk a lot too about the crippling aspect of student loans and what that does to people and what kind of future that gives (laughs) someone, you know, yeah which thankfully is not as big of an issue in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very true. very, Very blessed in that. Having spent about nine years out of university now and haven't been there for five, I would say that university was a wonderful experience. I'm so glad I did it. I would probably do it again for myself in that time era. But it just doesn't feel like the be-all and end-all that it was built up to be. Oh, I completely agree. One of the things, uh,
1: little pieces of advice that I would give is try to have friends from every, like legitimate friends from every generation because you learn so much. I was literally just talking to my friend Bill uh, tonight uh, who's about 30 years older than me or 25 years older than me and he was saying, you know, at one point in my life, I was really thinking about going in and getting an MBA and he said, and I was sitting down with one of my professor friends who teaches the MBA program at right. the school. Yeah, and he said, "Well, why do you want to get an MBA? You've already done mergers, you've already done acquisitions, you you know how to make payroll, you you know how to do all these things." <laughs> and you, and he's like, "Well, you know, I just kind of wanted the degree." And he's like, "You, we have nothing to teach you." <laughs> like, and I get that that impression. The more I talk to people, is it, there comes a point in life where you don't need the degree anymore. Right. Yeah. And the degree isn't going to give you the knowledge necessarily. Here's another example. I was talking to another friend today. If you really wanted the knowledge, it's all online. I know. Like every course. course you want to take. Lit, I'm talking if you wanted to go to Harvard. Yeah. You wanted a Harvard level of education, you can get that. Yeah. And from Harvard. Yeah. Yeah. Or the, Yale. Yeah. Or Columbia. Or, like or they, Stanford. All, They're all there. Yeah. They're
0: online. On YouTube. <laughs> See, like the I world's easiest think, website.
1: <laughs> I don't think people are going to these schools. Because they want to learn. Yeah, no, I think they're going to get a piece of paper, which is a big token in the prestige economy. Yeah, it's right. Like we live in a credentialed world. One of my friends' dad says, and like you need credentials in yeah. order to to prove. And I think a reason for that, if I if I might speculate, is that we've actually reduced and Ipsos Reid did a whole bunch of polling on this. As a society, we don't trust each other as much anymore. Mm. And therefore, in order to trust a person, yeah. you need someone else's stamp of approval on yeah. them before a, you're an willing... institution that yeah, you can inst- trust. Exactly. Kind of an in- exactly. An institution needs to say this is one of ours. Yeah. And so even we if- vouch for them. Yeah. It's
0: like the world's most expensive vouch. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or, or like, yeah. yeah. Yeah,
1: which I think is I guess a tangent, but interesting.
0: I think you're right. Even if that's not 100% true, there's obviously some truth in that notion. Now, my curiosity about the future of education is something along the lines of when the businesses of the world start being owned, not just managed, but owned by people of our generation, so people born in the 1980s, essentially, especially, I think, people born in the 1980s and early 90s, What's going to happen when they're old enough and strong enough and powerful enough to realize that, hey, there's a lot of competency that didn't go to university because it was way too fucking expensive? (laughs) How do you start looking for that? And then what is that going to do to universities? Maybe universities are too big to fail. They might be too big to fail. If they're not too big to fail, on that hypothesis, I'm interested in seeing how people who run businesses in the next 10 to 15 years, start their hiring practices that are potentially less interested in that credential because they know how flimsily they come by. Peter Thiel has a
1: scholarship that will give you money to drop out of university and start a business. So that's how.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and, and especially because, again, the human bandwidth is the biggest issue. But if you could figure out a way to like talk to people to discover their knowledge regardless of a certificate or a diploma. That's interesting. Like, I've watched an entire series on psychology from Yale, from Paul Bloom, like a very famous psychologist. So I can talk about that to someone. I don't have any paper from Yale, but yeah. I've learned an entire course from a very celebrated Yale professor.
1: <laughs> here's, what, here's what I'd say on, on that front. We still need to promote excellence, and we need institutions that identify the excellent and showcase them. Sure, But I don't think that's what the universities are doing right now to a large degree. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I would say that my hope would be that should the universities continue on in any major capacity now that all human knowledge is available... <laughs> uh, easily up I to say, now. Up to now, easily yeah. accessible, that I would hope that that is what they would become, is institutes for excellence instead of degree printing factories yeah which i think they largely are now
0: yeah well i mean i will cross my fingers with you and still look for another alternative <laughs> yeah well, i'll see what happens yeah probably the most uh, the, res- the resolution of evan's good guyness in the movie is the last scenes when he's with becca because he's most interested in becca thinking he's a good guy Part of his intent at the party is making sure that she knows he likes her, that he's not trying to take advantage of her, and then he's not ready to have sex with her. Like, that's one of the funny, well, funny and actually, like, sweet, probably the sweetest part of the movie is when it's clear that Evan's not ready to have sex with her, even though she's ready to have sex with him, and his true feelings of actually liking her makes sex really complicated for him, to your point earlier about the complicated nature of sex. And... I don't know. Like this time watching super bad through that scene at the end with Evan, not like him being the one not ready to sleep with Becca was so poignant to pointing out that there are a lot of guys, a lot of guys who aren't interested in just getting it in, who have genuine feelings and want to make it work and want to make sure the girl knows that that's their intention.
1: Yeah. And I think there's a lot of guys who have a lot of complexes around sex and it's not something we talk about, and whether that's because of how you were raised or what something that happened to you, like mm-hmm. this is not a simple topic, and this is one of the things. <laughs> no. I mean even for myself. The other thing is with consent. We now live in a culture where you can get your entire life destroyed if you fuck this up. Yeah, uh, if you do something wrong, um, and so really the the safest option is to completely avoid the topic uh really frankly yeah and certainly and certainly avoid the interaction certainly in a (laughs) casual sense (laughs) right like maybe once you're in a a relationship and you're the trust levels the trust levels are a lot higher than then and even then you could be completely destroyed so there's a lot of issues around this and actually being yourself in a sexual way i in Evan's case, I think he just genuinely didn't want it to be that way. He didn't want some drunken sta- one-night stand at a party mm-hmm. to be his first time, and I don't blame him for that. No. Yeah, I think that we
0: too often simplify male sexuality. Yeah, and in this scene, perf- uh well I don't know, perfectly—very well juxtaposed to— I guess, Becca's aggression (laughs) or Becca's interest in being kind of the alpha, give me what I want kind of thing, you know? And so again, even though holding true the biological thing we talked about earlier, I think that there are individual cases of this being kind of flipped a bit and it definitely seemed like Becca had more testosterone (laughs) than, than Evan did in this scene. Yeah. And I think that again, like, Everything viewed in its best light in this movie is its learning, right? It's hard, silly, gross learning to help it be more in consonance with your emotions and your spirituality next time or in the future times for this kind of thing, right? Because it's a dirty comedy. I think this movie fires really well on the jokes and the kind of meditations on these really tricky things that young people learn and go through. And again, if we don't talk about it well, especially to them, like because we don't know what kind of conversations Seth and Evan's parents have had with them about sex, you know, or Becca's or Jules, for that matter. There's really no parents in this movie except for that one scene at the beginning with Evan's mom. Given the way that Evan reacted in the scene where he's clearly not ready and he wants to talk about his feelings with Becca, it struck me that he didn't have many solid conversations with adults that he trusted in his life about it, which is, I think, letting someone like Evan down. Yeah. You
1: know, but then there's the, the complexity of, you don't like my, one of them, I bring this up a lot, but it's the before trilogy and before midnight in the before midnight, uh, Ethan. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 Julia are walking and, uh, they say all of our parents fuck us up and, in their own unique way. Mm -hmm. And I think if you talk about it too much, you could probably screw someone
0: up too. Like, I don't know if there's an answer to, to how to go. about Maybe. Yes. But I think, okay. Not even just like a lecture style talking, just like asking questions because I feel like someone like Evan would have benefited greatly by having an adult that he trusted ask him questions about what he thought about it. Because then now Evan has to actually articulate what his thoughts are on, potentially sleeping with Becca, right? And one of the, not tragedies exactly of the movie, but the kind of really understandable, and what I have a lot of compassion for in both Evan and Seth, is all of the things that are happening in their brains below the surface that they don't know how to talk about yet, and aren't being brought out because nobody around them is mature. (laughs) So there's no one to draw the the maturity out of that. The only person who draws any maturity out of anyone in this movie is Jules. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, I feel like someone like Evan would have benefited greatly by having someone just like, well, okay, this girl, Becca. What do you like about her? Why do you want to spend time with her? What if she likes you? What if she wants this out of you? This kind of thing. Because in the scene where they're in the bed together, he's a fish out of water. Yeah. He you know, know to do and anything, and yeah. and it's just like maybe you do need those kind of weird. <laughs> gross, ambiguous experiences to grow. But, again, mm-hmm. with that life-ruining <laughs> thing you talked about earlier, I would say it's better to start hedging the bets a bit. <laughs> well, there's, so, like, yeah, I
1: think there should be a level of education, for sure. I just think...
0: Like, it's possible to talk too much about it to your kid, is yeah, that what you're saying? I,
1: I think so, but I'm just... I mean, obviously, I've never experienced anything like that, so I don't know what it would look like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well,
0: that can be a I, I think topic think in all things. Sure, things, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Think about how Evan is even in this scenario, right? Like, he's not even... I mean, he had those hilarious, like, botched calls with Becca because his phone wasn't working, etc. Becca was clearly set on sleeping with Evan on this night, right? Evan seemed subconsciously set on romancing her (laughs) on this night. They needed to talk about that before they were drunk in a bed together. Yes. And I just feel like that could have been... Given to Evan before this night, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> by someone who cared about him and wanted to see him succeed in his romantic endeavors. Okay, so the Seth and Evan togetherness of all of these things, I would just the stock in um, McLevin's ID working out the plans of the young to get booze. I loved that nostalgic trip that that because <laughs> yeah. it reminded I me of
1: I didn't yeah I, I never did that so yeah well so yeah. I I, yeah. I did
0: I will admit to it yeah. and and it was kind of fun <laughs> the rigmarole and things and ways and people you talk to to figure out how because the drinking age in bc when i was growing There's up was 19, 19 yeah. and so especially ages 17 and 18 you're figuring out how to get booze and just like that's its own adventure before the party kind of thing which yeah. is actually looking back is a major part of the fun right. of the night is figuring out, out how, how to go have boot. the fun yeah. <laughs> i liked when seth and evan the the scene when they go to the adult party when the guy picks them up uh, and they go to the adult party yeah. i like that because it's part of the moment when a young person gets exposed to a larger world again that party is part of their world expanding (laughs) you know and i mean obviously it's a jokey stupid way because it's a adult party where there's you know the period blood gets on seth pants and all that kind of stuff but you can see it in their eyes even when they're approaching and they're in the party they're just like Oh, man. And I related to that feeling of that moment of like, you're so insulated in your world and then you're out of your element and you're just like, what do I do? It's similar to that feeling you're talking about about going to university for the first time, right? Like, I remember that feeling
1: like, these
0: aren't the people I know. These aren't the people I've established myself with. What do I do? What What do I do? What do I do? Yeah. I think, again, why this is such a great coming-of-age movie is that motif is so important. Like, even in when we did Stand By Me, like the kids are joking and talking, but when they actually see the dead body, there's a different world view. It's somber, and they've grown up a bit now, and they're like, holy crap, this is a different thing that I haven't been exposed to, and I'm growing up a bit because of it. Mm -hmm. And then, um, I love you, man. Friendship, love is the superlative form of togetherness, Uh, what Evan and Deep Down Seth is yearning from the girls, too. And it reminds me of uh, a Nietzsche line where he talks about this perfect form of love and he is basically a poem like he's it's, you know all of Nietzsche's <laughs> aphorisms are basically poetry but he's talking about how the superlative form of love is friendship he's talking about what is this love this thing that it that this ephemeral but always lasting thing it goes by one name friendship and I would argue that the friendship of Seth and Evan is the point of this movie and it's what everything is leading up to, which is why their anxieties about being separated are so painful, but then they're also learning from that. And I would also say that deep down it's what they're wanting out of the girls too, even though Seth does it in a shitty way and Evan does it in a <laughs> kind of clumsy way, you know? Yeah. And um, to give them a nice I resolution. Mean, I've, I've
1: said it a lot of times. So I, I won't go on in some kind of diatribe about friendship, but I think we all, hopefully our listeners know how important I think friendship is. Yeah. At this point. And I think it's interesting in the particular context of, of adolescent friendship that it doesn't tend to last. Yeah. At least in my experience, uh, I wouldn't say that the the people that I was friends with in my adolescence, I have negative opinions towards or that I don't love. I do. But who I am now is so vastly different than mm-hmm. who I was at 17 and 18 that the people that I had relationships with at that point are not the people that I have relationships with now. I think there are friendships that can you can grow in over the course of that time, at, but the relationship you're going to have with that person, again, is going to be significantly different. Yeah. But what I do love about this is I know, oh, I know so well the feeling of fear of, am I going to lose this person? Yeah. And uh, I don't fear that from my friendships now,
0: but I remember fearing it There's a it perspective yeah. given now. But yeah, I think what you're implying and is so true is the intensity of your adolescent friendships because you have nothing to compare them yeah. to. Yeah. They're just They're everything. the world. Yeah. You know, like I remember thinking even way younger than a teenager, like, like six or seven being like, okay, my friend Ryan is my best friend and that's the world forever. Yeah, <laughs> that's the most important <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah, you know, and... Yeah. The best coming-of-age movies, swear words or dick jokes in or not in, are the ones that capture the intensity of youth in a feeling that you don't really know what to do with yet Yeah, and how that shapes your life trajectory and how you learn about it. And there's something so... So weirdly satisfying because like, and I mean, I'm not the first person, there's a, there's a really bizarre, but not, it's like, a, it's an understandable, there's an asymmetry in the world in that the old know what it's like to be old and young, and the young only know what it's like to be young. And so there's a weird satisfaction you get when you watch a movie about young people going through the things you went through in a way that I don't think they could watch, like young people could watch a movie about the things old people go, or older people go through and the things that they enjoy, you know? And so that's why I think coming of age movies are so, they resonate with people who aren't yeah, just you, you teenagers them, yeah. because you're reminded of that, right? And and so that's what I loved about that. So anyway, I think we'd be a little bit remiss to not at least give a little bit of lip service to McLovin, Michaels, and Slater. <laughs> right. Now, I think I mentioned earlier, I, you know, I know I did that. To me, these three characters are significantly less important to the meaning of this movie than Seth and Evan. Like Seth and Evan are the bread and butter and and jewels, actually. Like those three, Becca too. But those three characters are the beating heart of this movie. Now, the other three are surreal. Like there's something yeah. unbelievable about these, but they're so funny that I had to jot down a few things and share them. So McLovin, this movie so perfectly captures his fear of getting caught.
1: Right. <laughs> you know, like the yeah. fear
0: of getting caught. I loved the way he was panicking in the. When the police were When the police were coming, he's like, Are you old enough? Old enough to party. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that and kind of thing. And the best is how they know from the very beginning it, yeah, that he's yeah, yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How's it going with the ladies, McLovin? It's not the going with the ladies I care about, it's the coming. <laughs> But he's so awkward He's so awkward. Uh, he's the
1: kind of person you just kind of shiver when you think about it uh, Yeah,
0: he revels in taking out the bum. Yeah. Although <laughs> you know? he's
1: smart, though. Like, when he gets the police to take him out of the house that time. Yeah. And, like, oh, yeah, to, that was great. Like, yeah. This guy's an
0: animal. Yeah. His storyline is, like, the humor of the time. It's a capture of the era of McLovin's storyline. The kind of weirdo. But Michael's odd crime for a Jew. Because <laughs> he's uh, talking about how because the cashier at the liquor store says he looks like, the the perpetrator looked like him, not her. He's like, yeah. oh, he's Jewish. I'd cry for a Jew. <laughs> I assumed there was semen everywhere. It's not like CSI, you know? <laughs> these lines that on holding the gun. It's like having two cocks. And yeah. this is the scene where when he lets McLovin hold the gun, this is surrealism in a realistic relationship movie. And I think that that's a great artistic contrast that this movie does. Because I actually find... Seth and Evan's relationship so believable. And then the unbelievable unbelievability. The adventure of McLovin. <laughs> of, of yeah. The uh, McLovin the other ones is such a as someone who appreciates comedy and art artistic weaving of some things that are actually so different. I think this movie does that really well with that. This was my favorite. Slater. That's Yoda from Attack of the Clones. <laughs> this is the perfect Star Wars troll, right? <laughs> Married to an actual whore. Uh, We got a call. We can't pay for these beers. I am the law. Hold hands, and he's dancing by himself at the party. So yeah, I mean, to me, these three characters represent surrealism for humor's sake. Uh,
1: I think. I guess the only thing that I find interesting about them is they seem like two. They they seem like two guys who just never figured it out, (laughs) and And, yet somehow became cops. Well, yeah. uh, Oh, (laughs) is that a roast on cops? no no you know they're important members of society blue lives matter <laughs> but they care what mclovin thinks of them and wants they want mclovin to think they're cool like i guess that's surrealism but it's fine yeah that's what it. i mean like i yeah. like
0: everything that michaels and slater do and care about make no sense yeah and are completely
1: absurd i i yeah. I guess maybe I don't enjoy absurdity as much. Cuz I
0: just I don't like them. They just I'm like, eh. yeah. But like so you don't even think that they're funny? Not not really. Mm, interesting. Yeah. I mean, I'm more of a clerks guy if right. I'm going for like comedy. Uh So who who do you think is the funniest character in this movie? probably Seth yeah 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 I, I guess so for sure his lines are probably the I, most I mean creative. Evan's
1: the most cringy like <laughs> and that's because I
0: I guess I see young young David and and Evan yeah so one of the fun artist like the things of this movie as a piece of art that I really enjoyed watching this time through is that there are a lot of pastiche aspects to this movie similar to pulp fiction where there's just like all of a sudden, when Bruce Willis is driving down the street, he sees Marcellus Wallace, they get into a fight, and then just out of nowhere, they're fighting in a pawn shop run by redneck rapists who <laughs> capture them and have a gimp. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Just like that gratuitous aspect of the movie is part of what makes Pulp Fiction, Pulp Fiction, you know? And then there's like the scenes with the needle and, and Vincent Vega having to just... Yeah, injection adrenaline, adrenaline, Uma Thurman, or like accidentally shooting that guy in the back seat, and then all of a sudden there's the there's the wolf and the Bonnie situation, you know, like those are pastiche or the pulp fiction of pulp fiction. But in this movie, the the ones that I noticed are things totally gratuitous to the main part of the plot, and it's Seth's story about the dicks. Yeah, (laughs) just that tangent all about. Joe Lotrulio's part in this movie, who's the guy that hit Seth in the car, right? The period blood on Seth's leg. McLovin befriending the cops. Evan singing to everyone at the party, right? Oh, that that was so weird. So weird and so funny. Blowing up of the car. And I actually think that, again, one of the reasons that this movie has stuck are these pastiche things. The weirdness of... They stick in your your mind. Yeah, Yeah. the weirdness of out of nowhere, the guess who having a song in this movie, you know? Like, that makes no sense for any of this. True, And yet, why is that the song Evan started singing, Yeah, another good question. And and, and so I think that there is a, a... There's an appreciation, I feel, for a movie as a piece of art that just throws these deep cultural cuts at you for no reason or deep jokes or weird things at you for no reason it's just like here here's something you didn't expect here's something that makes no sense with anything else that's happened you deal with it yeah and i like that i don't know and it's a temperament thing not everyone would like that but i really do so anyway last couple of things i just want to talk about movie in general The intro, the funk music in this movie is incredible. I love the intro music and a lot of the funk music throughout. It's just such a hilarious, the dialogue. I love how they can talk about boners and Beatles in the same scene. You know, like just the back and forth between Seth and Evan is incredible. The writing and the delivery. Even if you you hated crudeness, but you loved complexity and... Uh, what seems like improvisi- improvisation all of that like this movie is as good as it gets i think and then i loved the scene where they're running unnecessarily in the streets from the cops <laughs> because it's an adventure of nights out with your friend as a teenager not that i was ever running from cops but just again like that nostalgia of oh we're a little bit drunk who knows what's going on we need to like go on a mission and hide you know i love that aspect of it and I actually think that this is almost a perfect comedy because the characters are already what they think they aren't in order to make their crushes like them. So this is a weird, like this is a Wizard of Oz connection I'm going to make where Seth is already everything Jules wants. Somehow. <laughs> right? Okay. And Evan is seemingly already what, what, Becca wants. what Becca wants and they think that they're not so they have to change it. And yet, In their best moments throughout the movie, Evan and Seth are demonstrating the things about them that they think that they're not.
1: Well, like Seth offering to get the alcohol. There's a good, uh, I mean, an example of him being kind of like, "Oh yeah, I'll be your, yeah, I'll help you out."
0: He carries, he saves, as I say in quotations, Evan from the party by carrying him away. Like he's not going to leave him behind. And again, like Wizard of Oz, the great. I mean, it's a little bit on the nose now, but probably when it was written, it was like subversive. The great part of Wizard of Oz is how the scarecrow without a brain has all the good ideas along the path and the tin man without the heart is the most caring along the path and the cowardly lion shows the most bravery and courage throughout the path. So, you know, that's kind of what the wizard tells them is like, actually, those are already are in you (laughs) when you're not thinking about them, you're you're demonstrating them, you know? And I liked that aspect of it. And just the end of the movie, the guys moving on to a stage of life with the girls, because at the end of the movie they're with their crushes, going on to do tasks in the mall, and to, it's the it's the transition of life captured, you know. And I and I think that that's why, from a nostalgic point of view, this movie resonates with people. Yeah, under their consciousnesses is because it's it's a reminder, and I totally totally remember that first huge transition point in life. Oh, and how hard it is, and how to live with and it. Yet,
1: ha- yeah, and yet looking back on it now, being scared of it was so unnecessary. I would say,
0: <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Which is part of the, which is part of why it's so incumbent on me. It feels like to help young people whenever they need it. You know, because I get that fear, and it makes me think, okay, what things am I fearful of now? That people 20 years older than me can help me with. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a good point. Which is what you were talking about Yeah, having with your friends. I think having friends of every generation yeah. is important. No, it's so crucial. That has been the best thing about being out of <laughs> high school and university is that age becomes way less relevant for Yeah. You can friends with friendship. someone who's like 70
1: yeah. or 50 or 20 or,
0: yeah. Yeah. And so I got to say, we got that funk. <laughs> and I appreciate it you doing this, cause I know it's not your favorite movie of all time oh, that no. we've done, but you've, you've, I mean, I, you didn't like the great Gatsby that much. <laughs> yeah. But I think, well, the great Gatsby is a well-written yes, <laughs> book yes. and a very interesting thought experiment. I'm just saying that I'm okay. glad you, you brought out some negative things about Seth that I, didn't really occur to me, but once you articulate them, I'm like, Oh yeah, you're right. That is pretty gross. Or like, that is a good example of something that if taken seriously would be pretty horrible. I guess I love stories that are embedded in something that it seems so what they're not. You know, and I think I've called this, I've talked to you this before, never on the podcast, it's like the goofball facade. Yes. When you're so goofy that people don't take you seriously, so you can slide something really profound in there. And I do think there's the profundity of this movie is the way that Evan and Seth are not able to deal with their anxieties over their friendship uh, uh, from their perspective disintegrating how that eats them up, how it affects every other thing that they're doing with each other and Fogel, because yeah. that's a total asshole to Fogel, and how the only real resolution to that is them telling each other that they love each other. <laughs> and, yeah, and that being they, honest. And that they be honest, and they care about each other, and they want to be friends. Because the insecurity is that they're afraid that they don't actually. Yeah, and then they have the armor of moving on with this next stage of life where they are going to be physically separated, but knowing that that's out there, that they love each other. Yeah. The fact that all of that is hidden and embedded in one of the crudest movies of all time and again, like just temperament wise, I like crude humor. Yeah. Because I think it's my kind of rebellion. Not as much anymore, but certainly when I was, you know, twenty, when it came out, it was. And so, I have a penchant for that, which I think is a little different between you and I, and that's totally fine. <laughs> yeah, I've, I'm trying to. Now that you're saying that, I'm trying to think of what my form of rebellion is. Yeah. Well, we can talk, about, the, it, we'll talk about it another, another time. time. When it, and, and you know what? It'll strike you the next time you see it in a movie or read it in a book because this is what this is so great about stories is that they reflect back to us things that are in our brains but not in our consciousnesses. Yeah. You totally. know? So anyway, I really appreciate everyone listening. This has been another episode of Really True Fiction. My name is Luke Mason. And my name is David Parker. And stay super bad. <laughs> super bad. <laughs>